What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is your first time checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business, create their content, and be more productive. Now, when it comes to toys, we like to look at toys in a more broad sense around here and not just relegated to stuff like action figures or Funko Pops or things of that nature. You'd be surprised what people consider their toys, and we'd love to go and discuss that stuff because it gives us just a little bit more of a personal connection with our guests, and it breaks up a lot of the business talk as well. With that out of the way, let's get into a little bit of housekeeping and turn it over to this week's guest. First off, I want to thank everybody who has checked out the episode that we did with Coach Joe Satmary from uh, Lion's Den. It was a phenomenal episode for a few reasons for me personally. Um, I'm really a big fan of the work that Coach Joe is doing. And as somebody who's been a gym rat and uh, a, a fan of just powerlifting, strength training, things of that nature, it was just a a, a pretty big markout moment for me to just meet someone in the space that's really making an impact and doing it, uh, preaching the the same tenets that I believe in when it comes to getting stronger and doing things that are just not the conventional stuff when it comes to working out. So really, really excited to have sat down with him and share his story and chop it up, talk training a little bit and a few other things. As an entrepreneur and a businessman, Coach Joe is out there really busting his butt to give you guys great content and more importantly help you just be stronger be more physically fit and especially with everything going on in the world a little extra fitness doesn't hurt at this time that's for damn sure nonetheless i want to thank everybody who reached out and had some great encouraging words really said a lot of awesome things about coach joe uh they went they're checking out his channel his site etc so Again, thank you all for the, for the positive words with regards to Coach Joe. Like I said, he was uh, a personal uh, get for me as a guest, and I'm very glad that I had the opportunity to sit down and chop it up with him. And believe you me, we have a lot of great guests to take us through the next few months. Some of them are in similar spaces like I am in terms of being podcasters, content creators, but we also got some... Uh, founders, a couple of CEOs, a few uh, influencers in various different spaces. So we're going to definitely run the gamut. And everybody's stories are just so unique, so fun. And you draw a lot of inspiration from them. I think every guest that I've had for the last few episodes, I've really taken something from them. I mean, Coach Joe, for example, I took a couple of different training tips from his YouTube channel. I've applied them to my own training. It's been uh uh, a game changer for me in terms of strength, especially as someone who's getting back into the gym after uh, the gym being closed due to COVID. But that's a story for another day. Nonetheless, I really hope that many of you that are checking out the episodes are taking something from these guests and applying it to your uh, passion projects, your businesses and your creative endeavors. And hell, if there's some awesome toys or awesome gadgets or gear that are helping you do something great for your brand or your project, that's that's a big plus for me as well. And by all means, feel free to reach out if you have any questions about any of the stuff that we've discussed over the last couple of episodes, 
whether it's gear related or about the guest or anything else, feel free to shoot me a line via email or social, and I will do my best to help you out. All right. I'm not going to go into too much bigger detail with housekeeping for this week. I'm trying to keep things a little shorter, more concise, trying to really limit a lot of the quote unquote introductory speech. So with that said, I'm going to shut my yap. We're going to turn it over to this week's guest. My guest for this week is Alex Sanfilippo. Alex is a entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word. Got to start in the game at a very young age, has transitioned through various huge career changes right up to the point where he launched his own podcasting service, which is Podmatch, a service that actually matches podcast hosts with potential guests. And as a podcaster that's been doing this for a long time, it is a service that proves invaluable. Alex is going to sit down with us and share the toys and tech of his trade. How's it going, Alex? Rich, it's going great, man. I'm really glad to be here with you today. I am, uh, you know, just blown away by your story because there's a lot of parallels. I see so many things, you know, be, be between us, obviously, just aside from being podcasters, just you getting your start, starting your first business at a young age, um, selling used golf balls. I'm like, man, that reminds me of me packing bags in a supermarket and making my first hundred bucks. And I kind of want to start there and kind of dig into the origin story leading us into Podmatch. You know, what was that like when when you started doing that first business and you made your first bit of money? And I mean, your first sub- significant bit of money. How was that for you? Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up the golf ball thing. I think everyone ever hears that get mentioned, which isn't all the time. But when it gets mentioned, people who are listening are like, wait, you got to explain that, right? So uh, at about 10 years old, I was in a, I was in a weird place of life. Uh, like every 10 year old, right? You're pretty much just awkward at that point anyway. Yep. But, uh, I remember I, I was kind of at 10, I kind of had this realization that I wasn't really good at sports. Like a lot of my friends, I wasn't a musician. My brothers were actually really great, uh, with behind any musical instrument for some reason it didn't make sense. But then I also wasn't good at video games or school. And that's like a super awkward place to be. Like as a kid, I'm like, Oh, I'm 10 and I don't do anything that any people around me do. And I had a lot of friends. I just remember always being like a step behind them and everything. And then for some reason, I saw some kids selling lemonade on the side of the road one day. And I was like, that looks like fun. And I did that for about two hours. And I was like, this doesn't make any money. And while I was doing that, I was watching at the golf course right across the street from where we were doing this. There was golfers continuously hitting balls in the water. And I was like, I wonder if we could get those out of there. And I wonder if those are worth more money than lemonade. Anyway, long story short, uh, me and a couple guys in the neighborhood, we started actually fishing out the golf balls of the lakes, cleaning them up and selling them back to golfers. And we ended up making quite a bit of money for 10, we did that from the ages I was 10 to 12. After that, you're not cute anymore, uh, Rich. <laughs> so you can't really get away with it. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, you're kid. But uh, for those couple of years, we did really well. And that, that's how I made my first hundred dollars was, was doing something like that. And yeah, it wasn't like big money or anything like that. But as a kid, I realized, oh, wait, this is what I'm good at. I'm good at business. Like I understand profit margins. I understand how to somewhat manage a team, although they were just kids, right? But I learned those things at that young age and kind of set me on fire, if you will, for this idea of entrepreneurship. But that's that's my origin story, if you will. And it, it kind of goes into a handful of other things that we can definitely dive into. But that's where I really got that start, that realization. Yes, between the age of 10 and 12, it's very young to have that happen. But for whatever reason, that that's kind of my story. What'd you, what'd you, do you remember what you spent the, your first $100 on? 
man, I know, I know for sure I spent it on GI Joes, like the small GI Joes, like the three and a half inch tall ones. Yep. And the, uh, I love football cards back then. So I was buying that. Now I look back, I should have been buying Pokemon cards apparently because uh, <laughs> they're worth a lot of money now apparently. But, uh, anyway, yeah, so I was buying those GI Joes and I was, I was buying football cards and I ended up selling the GI Joes and making quite a bit of money in my early teens. Uh, I probably sold them when I was like 14 or 15. So just a couple of years later and nice. made a lot of money on those. But again, I should have been investing in Pokemon cards instead of football, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's amazing how, how that's been such a crazy cycle. I remember working in a comic book store and Pokemon cards starting shortly after like the magic, the gathering craze. And next thing you know, I'm looking at guys buying cards for, you know, quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> and I'm it's, like, it's crazy, man. What were we thinking back then? Not taking that seriously. <laughs> I mean, listen, I still like I, I have, you know, I, I was a comic book collector. I'm still going through books like I'm downsizing like a lot of my stuff. And it, it just amazes me that things have evolved so much. And now with, you know, with NFT and all the and all the digital collectibles that people are putting out there, I'm like, I'm like, this is a brand new space by the time, you know, like my kid grows up. She won't know what it's like to buy a pack of cards in a store because you'll be able to buy them digitally. Yeah, you know, we're aging ourselves right now by having this conversation. You realize that, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, but you know what the funny thing with you know, wisdom brings experience and so does age. Yeah. And I think yeah. that as you know, looking at your story and, and what you did, a lot of people, and, and I've seen it in numerous times, that the the lemonade stand is a foreign concept. It's mm-hmm. it's the 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 kids now it's like flipping sneakers uh opening up a shopify store you know buying a cricket uh vinyl printer and making mugs like it's come so far that the the art form of going out and starting a lemonade stand or in your case you know just using something like taking people's golf balls cleaning them up selling them back like like that's it's very few and far between that people are still using those more by the book ways of making money like now it's it, people kind of just want to work smarter not harder which sometimes is good but experiences like this being in the trenches like i still value that because i think it teaches a lot more yeah i'm actually right there with you there, there's some some hard skills that you can learn from being in front of another human right when even as a kid i can remember like and i'm not going to share this about this story too much because i was just a child but I can remember the first time somebody tried to rip me off. Like it was a golfer right. talking to a 10 year old kid trying to rip me off. Like I had to stand my ground. And when you're behind like a paywall, like a Shopify paywall, they're, they're not going to pay you $12 for $15 shirt. You know, like nope. that doesn't work like that anymore. But when someone's trying to rip you off in person, you learn some skills, you learn how to negotiate, you learn how to talk and uh, kind of get rid of some, uh, I guess some confrontation, if you will. Right. Those hard skills are, those are important to learn. And yeah, a lot of people today aren't learning them. I'm not like all these young kids, they don't know what it's like. But there is something to be said for doing in-person business and learning mm-hmm. those those sides of the trade that I still hold with me today. And yes, I use them throughout my entire life at this point. But learning those at such a young age really helped benefit me for where I am today, which is now all digital. But still, I carry that same type of thing with me. So what you're saying there holds a lot of merit. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Rich. Well, I think that as as people have evolved and, you know, over the course of your your career, you you went and jumped into a lot of unique markets. I mean, you know, going into real estate investing, uh, Mm -hmm. taking that, creating a company based in that space. And I want to jump into that because you did that. And now the, the virtual tour 
is almost a prerequisite when selling a home. Yeah. So what, what you're explaining there for the audience sake, it's I started working in actual it was more tech based, but I was really curious about about real estate. And so when I was 16, I couldn't obviously invest in and buy real estate at that point. But what I was able to do was actually start a service company. So I worked with a group of uh, people that had direct access to the MLS and they were posting pictures and things like that. And we did is I say we, there was a team of us, there were seven of us working on this project where basically we built what was one of the original, not the original, but one of the original virtual tours of homes where you just kind of drag your mouse around. You could look at the roof, you could flip around and look at the other side of the room. We were building that very early on and stitching it together. We had photographers going out, taking these pictures of homes. And we had a team that was uploading it to the MLS at that point. And they were getting it listed and things like that. Really a great business. And that kind of set me on fire for the idea of real estate. Because I was just, I was actually one of the editors. Uh, I was not a photographer or anything like that. Like we, we did the training and things like that. But I was more so behind the computer, checking things, make sure they're working. And I just remember like looking at all these pictures of homes being like, ooh, this is a really unique selling point. I bet this house is going to sell for for more than they're asking for because they did this this extra thing right. that this will help. And I just remember really loving that and asking the photographers a lot of questions. Be like, hey, why did they have that extra room? Do you think it was original or did they add that later? Just asking these questions. So when I turned 18, it was a very natural step for me to say, okay, I want to own some real estate. I want to get into uh, buy and hold is kind of the strategy I went with. And that was a really cool season for me because I got to really explore a big passion area. I was working from home from 16 to 18. Uh, I did it or three years ago. So 16 to 19, I was working from home doing this which was kind of a remote job that weren't even really a thing at that point, right? Like trying to figure out how to talk to the team. We were using AIM back then. The chat. Oh, man. Um, There's probably better options. But again, being a 16-year-old kid, that was kind of my go-to. So that's how we were actually communicating back and forth and, and talking and things like that, which it was a really cool experience for me. And same thing. I learned how to manage people. These weren't 12-year-old kids. These were some of them much older than me adults. But figuring out how to actually run a company like this, develop the technology, was something that was was so much fun for me. It's a great experience in my life. Now, being being in that space, and you were you were, of course, investing in real estate at the time. How were you? How were you raising capital? Did you have help? Was that something where your parents got involved, or were you just taking the money and really just diving in and having a having a, a parent be a representative at that time? It's a good, it's a good question. As a matter of fact, my, I, I love my parents to death and they're the type of people that are very, they, they taught me and my brothers to be very independent. So my dad knew that I was going to want to get into real estate. So at 16, he's like, Hey, let me co-sign a car for you. You can pay off the loan. He really taught me like how to pay it off in a way that when I bought my first real estate a couple of years later, I wouldn't need a co-sign. Nice. So thankfully when I was actually able to buy my first piece of property, I just used the money I'd saved up. I wasn't buying football cards or uh, GI Joe's anymore. I was actually saving up money for a few years. And I wasn't the type of guy to have like, I shouldn't say never, but like I didn't have any girlfriends growing up and that was intentional. I really, I realized that I spent a lot of money when I had a girlfriend mm-hmm. and maybe that was just my personality. I know we don't need to dive into that, but I realized when I was single, I saved quite a bit of cash. So I decided to, to stay single. And also it didn't really make sense to me. Like I'm not going to get married. I'm like 17. And uh, so I like to, uh, to keep most of the money that I had. But anyway, when I turned 19, when I decided, or 18, I'm, I'm like, it's all blurred at this point when I actually invested in my first property between the age of 18 and 19. But I was actually able to do that without a cosign thanks to my dad's guidance along the day, along the way and helping me with my car and things like that to be a cosign. So I was able to do that alone with the money I saved up. And that's how I got into my first rental property investment. Now, when, when you got into the rental property, were you also um, 
rehabbing the homes yourself? Because I know a lot of people, they buy the rental properties, they put a little money into it, or they do the work themselves. No, what I was actually focused on was turnkey at that point, because I was really focused on the business still. So doing the tours and things like the uh, creating the virtual tours and things like that. So I, I was looking at turnkey properties. Nice. And then what you what'd you do? Did you have somebody? Um, did, did you hire a company to like collect a rental income at the time? Or were you just holding the properties and then just flipping them from a sales perspective? No, I actually did the uh, the management myself. Wow. If I went back, I probably wouldn't do that now. But yeah, I, I was doing that. But I mean, this whole thing that we're talking about was very short-lived because as soon as 2007, 2008 hit, uh, whenever that crash was, right? Yeah. Like that hit me really hard. And I ended up, I mean, that, that like really messed me up. So this whole thing was short-lived. So I was really very new into getting started in this space and doing this type of thing. So for me, managing myself made sense. If you would have tacked another year or two at the end of that, and it was like doing really well, I'm sure I would have found somebody to, to manage that for him. But initially it was something I was excited about and fun. I really didn't have enough time in that space to be able to, to feel the need to, to sub any of that work out at that point. Man, to be a fly on the wall and have a, 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 a 17 year old Alex knock on the door asking for rent. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that must have, that must have been, that must have been quite a shock, especially in the onset, because I think, you know, especially when you're younger and you're doing a lot of stuff, you know, before we started recording, I was saying how I remember getting my start and it's like, oh, you have a meeting with X person and the person would show up and they have like this expectation of who you are. And then you're like, oh, this kid just walks out and they're like, am I talking to the right person? <laughs> yeah. The first guy I actually um, went to collect rent from like the first, it was my first tenant ever. I went over and met him uh, after, right after he moved in and he just like kind of looked at me and he's like, oh, come on in. And then like a few minutes later, he's still just kind of giving me like this weird look and goes, how old are you? <laughs> and I was actually 18 at this point. So I was 18 years old uh, when I had my first one. And uh, and I, I told him, he's like, wow. He's like, you own this place? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, I'll be here and I'll be a good tenant. Um, it was a really interesting conversation. Actually, if I remember correctly, it was kind of awkward. Um, but anyway, the, the rest is history. He, he always paid on time. He was like a great tenant, actually one of the better I ever had. And uh, and, and yeah, so that's kind of how it started. My first, my first thing I had with that was, how old are you? That was the first question I was ever asked is being a landlord. So it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, you had, you had a good tenant. So I want to unpack that a little more. What was it like, especially at that age, getting, getting your feet wet, dealing with bad tenants? What, what experiences did you gain from that? Because sometimes I've seen, I've seen horror stories with bad tenants, you know, from trashing apartments to holding out on rent, et cetera. So you, you know, you're getting your feet wet in this industry. And like you just said, you had some good tenants. What were the bad tenants? And well, not to dig too deep into that, but what experiences did you take from dealing with the bad tenants that helped you in your in your business now? Yeah, so I, I had one that was really bad. And actually, it, it did not work out in my favor. Unfortunately, this is somebody who stayed their entire time. But toward the end, I think it was probably just the last 45 days. They took a complete turn, this individual. Wow. And I guess he, he started dating some girl who had a pot belly pig as a pet, which I didn't, I, at that <laughs> point, I didn't even know that was a pet. But anyway, they decided to bring it to place. And that thing tore the place up. I mean, tore it apart. And something went wrong. And now I believe it was intentional with the last month's rent they were supposed to send me. And it, the check didn't go through. It was really weird. I'd never seen it like it happened. I was like, hey, um, this check didn't go through. It had been like five days. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, I definitely submitted on time. He's like, I'll just, um, he goes, we'll just tack it on at the end if that's all right when you're doing your final inspection. 
in my mind, I was like, okay, that makes sense. There should have been a red flag there for me though. Mm. So I went in, he had already disappeared and his, I kept his security deposit, but it wasn't enough to cover even a fraction of the damage that was made. It was about $5,000 uh-huh. worth of damage that had been done. Uh, cause the carpets were torn up. The walls all had to be repainted. Uh, cause I, it looked like this, this anvil had been like just rubbing itself against the wall. So it was right. like black at the bottom of the walls. It was real, it was bad. And I could not get a hold of this guy. Turns out he was actually a lawyer and he was able to find all sorts of loopholes and things like that in, in my contract. And that was actually the last time I self-managed or self-wrote a contract because this guy was able to tear the whole thing apart. Basically, he wasn't wow. responsible for any of it was the kind of way it went. Um, and it, it made me just realize that like, I, I didn't want to lose faith in people because I, I gave a lot of faith in this person, but I needed to do my due diligence. Yes, I believe that everyone should be a, a good person, right? And I never want to say that I, I'm going to have the benefit or look at somebody and say, oh, I know that this person would be bad and stuff like that, although that occasionally happens. But I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose that faith, but you do the right thing up front. So for me, just because I think someone's really nice doesn't mean I need to do not do an airtight contract. Like just because I'm like, oh, I can totally be friends with this person. They're going to be great. No, I still need to do the right thing and make sure that I'm actually doing my due diligence because it's a business. It's not me personally. And that was my big learning moment. And actually, that was the only time I, I ever worked with anyone who just was was bad. I mean, that, that was really it. But nonetheless, after that, I always made sure that the the contracts were bulletproof. It was a business. I separated myself from the business. And since then, I've actually I, I did one other property after that, that was self-managed and the rest had, had all been. Um, managed by another company because I just wanted to dis- disconnect myself from it. But that was a big learning opportunity for me where I just realized that like, hey, I've got to be smarter. Like I've got to treat it like a business. I can't just be friendly with people and make it seem like it's just something fun on the side, right? Like it's got to be a real business. Yeah, I think the scary part of that, and and it's interesting that the person that you dealt with was a lawyer and he pretty much just weaved his way through the contracts because the, like, uh, you know, for, for the folks listening, the learning experience in that is that certain things you just got to either research them accordingly. And no matter how much research you do, there's always someone smarter. Yeah. And that's and that's just crazy that, you know, they kept the, the a pig in there. <laughs> they kept the pig in there and then just, you know, pretty much weave their way out of the contract. And I'm sure especially at that point for you, it was heartbreaking to just have to deal with that, you know? Yeah, it was. And, you know, that was right when the economy really wrecked. So I was already I was already feeling pretty defeated. I mean, the company I've been working on and I'm not going to sell myself as a failure. Like, I believe that everything kind of led me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. But at that point, like that company that I was running, the virtual tour company that just shut down. I actually there was a business partner in it and I just gave it to him. I took like almost nothing. I'm like, hey, we're, we're basically went from like a lot of business every day to now no one's selling homes. And if they are they're not investing in anything extra because they probably aren't going to sell it. Right. Right. So it went from like a hundred miles an hour to, to zero, a complete halt. And for me with the rental side of things, I actually moved into a rental property and liquidated. I guess since then I've, I've only had two properties uh, that were rental since that time even. Um, and, and yeah, it was like one of those big, like, I, I crashed and burned. I went from being a kid that was really young. I had this dream at that point of being, I don't remember what magazine it was, but I saw like top 30 under 30. I think it was maybe Forbes or something like that. I was like, I want to be on that list. Real estate's going to be my, my, my ticket to get me there. And that was kind of my mindset. And I was really chasing that. But I went from being someone who was well on my way to doing that to complete opposite to most in debt 20 year old or 19 year old that you ever met in your life. Wow. Uh, overnight, basically, just because of the, the economy crashing. And now we look back and of course, hindsight's 2020. Like I could be like, oh, I should have seen that coming. But back then I had, I had no idea what was coming at all. And I think that, kind of hit for most people that way. But 
it was a real reality check. So, I mean, everything we're talking about right now, with all this real estate stuff, this was a very short time in my life, but talk about something that had long-term repercussions and, and negative impact on me. Uh, it, it hit pretty hard. I think the scary part of, of that, and you know, it's a, it's a valuable lesson that we're seeing play out now is the fact that, you know, for we, we kind of get conditioned, especially growing up that, and, and you may have run into this growing up where, you know, you kind of just check off boxes as you grow up. It's like, go to school, go to college, get a right. job, get married, buy a home. You know, you, by the time you're done checking off some of those things, it turns out that you don't necessarily need to check them all off to get to your final destination. Yeah. If you follow what people are saying, man, I find that that, that path that you just said, that leads you all the way great. Like the last one is like bury yourself, die, you know, like check. Yep. But, and I don't mean to be morbid by saying that, but the truth is like people will always push you to the next phase of your life. I mean, mm-hmm. always push you. You buy a house like, oh, are you going to get a dog? Oh, are you going to have a kid? Yep. Oh, are you going to get new cars? Oh, are you going to get a bigger house? Like people will always push you. No one means anything by it. It's just the culture around us. Yep. I, I do think that's mostly culture in the United States. I don't think it's necessarily like that everywhere. But here we're, we're so we're so infatuated by what's next, right? Like we always want that. And you don't have to follow that exact path. I mean, I know that you haven't followed that exact path. I mm-hmm. certainly haven't. And I, we're maybe the, the, the difference in the north, uh, the difference from the norm. But in general, like you don't have to follow that path. And, and realizing that has been really helpful, sometimes intimidating because you're, you're kind of charting your own course, but beneficial to understand for sure. Now, after after the, the real estate bubble burst and you kind of pulled out of that, uh, you jumped into being in, in the corporate sector right after that. Am I correct? Yeah, I did. You know, the first thing I did is I kind of took a I took a step back. Like the day I realized how much in, how in debt I was, I was like, okay, I've got to do something different. What what industry wasn't impacted by this? And aerospace was one that wasn't. Now I don't mean like commercial flights. Obviously, that was that was not a good time for them either. But no. I'm looking at I'm looking at things that are more uh, government related. Space, you know, all all kinds of aerospace is a big is a big industry. So I was looking at parts of it that weren't negatively affected. And I saw them like, you know what, this is an industry that's growing right now. I'm going to jump into this. And I, I had a bit of an in. So I have to admit that it wasn't just me showing up randomly. Uh, <laughs> my dad has always been in aerospace since I've been born. I think he was, he was in that industry. So he had a bit of a name. So I was able to walk into uh, a company in Jacksonville, Florida here that my dad happened to be part of. Um, and uh, I was like, Hey dad, you think you can give me a job here? He's like, no, but you can, you know, you can put my name on your resume. I was like, all right. That's fine. You know, like that, that's okay. So <laughs> talk I, I talk about a lesson right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, my dad is all, like, and I really respect him about that. Like if I ever needed something, he was there. Uh, like no question. He was there uh, along the way. Same with my mom. Uh, but when it came to, Hey, you can do this, go, go do this yourself. Like don't, don't use me as a crutch. If you need me, I'm here. But uh, I walked in, I remember I was able to get a part-time job as a receiving clerk. And what that really meant was once I got into it, it was a lot of breaking down people's boxes, taking out trash and things like that. But as soon as I got into it, I'm like, all right, I'm in a stable environment now in a very unstable world. And I just, I, I gave my all, man. Like, so from day one, like if I was taking out your trash, I was going to do a really good job. If I was breaking down boxes, I was going to do it very efficiently. And I just kind of stepped all into that job and, and worked my way up over the years. But that, that was kind of my, my introduction to corporate, if you will, going from just being more of an entrepreneur to jumping into a corporate job. But it was small enough that it felt still like I could flex those entrepreneurial muscles, like as I grew in the company. Well, that's that, that leads me to exactly that. My next question, you go in there, you've already had years of, you know, experience under your belt and you're coming in, starting, you know, from the bottom, growing your way through it, finding ways to be 
um, an asset to the company. At what point did the company realize that there was more to you than, than meets the eye, you know, no pun intended that there was a person here that could be a bigger asset than just breaking down boxes. What was that tipping point for you? I think it was really the consistency in which I showed up with the right attitude. Okay. I wasn't doing a job that was fun. Let's put it that way. Like, but I showed up with a smile on my face every day. Thankful to have a job at that point. Right. Like I, I had been very negatively affected by the economy. So for me, I was just happy to have a job. Like I'm happy to be here. Like that was kind of my mentality, but also I was very curious. So not only I walk in consistently with the right attitude, but I was also curious. So I asked a lot of questions. So while I was breaking down these boxes, I realized different logos on some of them and things like that. I'd be like, Hey, what is this? Oh, this is, this is a hazmat box. Oh, like what comes in a hazmat box? Like, what do we do with the hazmat? They're like, Oh, the batteries. We have like all these different radioactive products as well. So just like being curious, learning. People really liked to show me things because I was actually curious on what they were doing. And when people started realizing how curious I was, people were like, hey, would you want to try doing this? And it just very naturally started happening. And I'd say within about six months, I got a full-time gig, still in receiving, uh, shipping and receiving at that point. Sorry, I was doing both sides of it. Mm. And then just really, again, being curious, learning about the product, learning about the process, doing my best to help improve it if I could, had really served me well, especially in those early years of moving into different positions. Man, the the parallels between our stories are just so crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, the, like like I said before we started, you know, I started in in the mailroom, shipping and receiving, and um, you know, sa- same thing. Grew, grew. Yeah. They they were like, hey, he's more than just a. I used to joke around, and say more than just a pretty face, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, the parallels are just are just so nuts. And and in in the organization I was with was in the automotive industry. Okay, so. It's just it's just interesting that people they always kind of like like you said they go in they they just check off a box and yeah sometimes these jobs are are a stop are a stopping ground or a stopgap for something greater but what people don't understand is there's so many lessons to take from these from these experiences I mean in your case now being within an organization now you're seeing the inner workings of of an organization you're part of a bigger machine and while yeah you're a you're a cog in that machine you also are taking and absorbing information from your peers around you. Yeah, I mean, it, that's 100% right. What you just said, I mean, obviously we do have some parallels here because you're like, you're speaking my story right there. But uh, it, it really it really served me well to be different in that, in that industry and in that job, just being out of the norm. Because again, maybe it just came from me being the guy who got really hurt worse than most people there. Uh, everyone else was still comfortable. They had been in their job for a while. Yep. And, and maybe that new guy that was stepping in, like it served me well to be that curious individual who really wanted to learn. And what ended up happening is over years, I just kept on working my way up through consistency. And then I got into some leadership positions and started really caring about people. And that's kind of, if I have a sweet spot, it's really serving people really well. And uh, part of that is, is me leading people and just really do my best to learn that. And I was educating myself outside of that. So I did like, Dale, back that was Dale Carnegie courses were big. Yep. And so I was doing courses like that. Uh, I did a handful of, there's someone called like Crestcom or something like that, where I just got like certified uh, in leadership. And as I kind of grew the, and the company grew, we, it was crazy, man. Like it went from what was a, a small company doing a few million dollars a year, which that's considered a small business to being part of, and I'm fast forwarding about 15 years here, 14 years here, but uh, went into being a multi-billion dollar publicly traded organization, uh, part of like a big network and things like that. And, and being part of that change and getting promoted along the way was a great, great, great experience for me. It's something I, I don't do anymore, but I always cherish those years being there uh, just because it taught me so much about 
business leadership, even entrepreneurship along the way. Yeah. And I'm sure that for your dad, it's a nice feather in his cap. He's like, Hey, you know, look at you growing in this industry. I've been in this industry. It's like the industry's giving back from a generational sense. So I'm sure there was definitely plenty of pride there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. He's still, he doesn't, he hasn't needed to work in a really, really long time, but he, he loves it. He's still, still in aerospace. Um, and he has a great time doing that. He's more of like a, I don't know if I want to call him a consultant, but he, he does a lot of leadership stuff. Let's put it that way. So, um, and he, he helps a lot of companies, uh, and things like that. But anyway, uh, he does some great work in there. So it's really cool to, to like, to still see him doing that that he loves. And, and for me, uh, years later now being out of it, it's, it's really just a great reminder of, of the legacy that, that will be left there. So in the midst of you doing all of this, were you still trying to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of real estate? What, 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 where did the road take you to where you started your podcast? We'll, we'll go there. Yeah. So actually I, I really got mostly out of real estate when I, the only other introduction I had during like these years was when I got married, my wife owned a place as well. And it was really close to a university that's here in Jacksonville, Florida. We live uh, university, of North Florida, very close to that. And uh, I was like, Hey, uh, when we got married, we had the conversation, obviously, where do we want to move? Cause we both own places. And she really liked my place, which I, I was thankful for. Uh, cause I really liked the area of town <laughs> I was in. It's, it's very central, very close to the ocean. So we ended up moving into, into mine and, uh, we, we rented hers out. I was like, let's just use this as a rental property, at least for a couple of years. And that was kind of like an itch I hadn't been able to scratch in a really long time, Rich. As you know, like at that point, I'm like, this would be really cool. So we did that. We rented it out to three different, um, three different students going to UNF. And that was a great experience. Uh, really did well with that. Their parents were paying for it, uh, which always helps. The rent yep. always showed up and it was, it was really high, which was great, but they were happy because they could get to school in less than probably three minutes to get to campus. So uh, that worked out really well for us, but that was really the only real estate I did till 2018 when I started really myself getting back into it. But uh, I shouldn't even say getting back into it. I wanted to buy another rental property because I didn't have one. But the one that I did have with my wife, we we sold that a couple of years later while I was doing the whole aerospace thing. Uh, it, the market just hit just right and made a lot of money on that. It made me feel better about the prior bad investments that I had. Let's put it that way. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of real estate was always just on the back burner. I, I always enjoyed it. I kept up with like Bigger Pockets, uh, Brandon Turner at Bigger Pockets is actually a friend of mine, um, and that's like a, a online real estate community that I've just always loved. I've read his books and, and just kind of kept up with what he's doing, but it's more of a hobby at this point for me. Well, you know what the funny thing is though, that even within that hobby, that that hustler's mentality is there because you're working, you still have an income coming in. You know, I I hate that so many, especially now and in, in 2020 and 2021, you know, people push passive income, passive income, passive income. And I'm like, listen, it's passive because you're quote unquote getting money while you sleep. But that passive income income requires active grind. Yeah. Oh, it does. Like, and, and I hate, I hate that they just, they use that as this, um, as this, uh, as the bait on a hook for people to, to fall into this full sense of security. It's like I said to a, to a friend of mine, I'm like, you do realize like a person selling on Shopify is eat, sleep and breathing all of this stuff. Sure. They're selling t-shirts while they sleep or candles or whatever it is, but you understand that when they're awake, that's all they know. Yeah. I, I like that you're bringing this point because there is this huge misconception of 
we all need to be focused on that passive income and it's just going to come to us automatically. Yep. And like you're saying, man, there is so much that goes into it. I remember when people started calling me like an overnight success in podcasting. I'm like, <laughs> it, was, it was one year of work before you even saw my name. Like yep. there was a full year, like 12 months of hard work every single day I put into doing that. Yeah. Well, one the of those thing- things that people just, I don't, I don't know. Like we think that, okay, you press play and then you're just going to get overnight success. And sure, there might be the few outliers, yep. but I've never been, I, I, I shouldn't say, I've met one person ever that really didn't have to do anything and just made a ton of money. Like they just hit it just, it was like hitting the lottery with their business. But everyone else I know is like, no, dude, I put in 10 years of really hard work that no one ever noticed, no one ever talked about. But the day people saw it, it looked like I was succeeding overnight. But the mm-hmm. truth is like getting to the point of true passive income is a ton of work. And then even after you launch something that technically I'm doing air quotes here has passive income, the amount of work in the background that you're doing, like creating the SOPs, writing the documentation, making sure that your structure can keep up with the, the income that's coming in. Yep. Doing all that, like, yeah, it's passive income, but you are working your butt off to earn that passive income. And I think the scariest part, especially, is because you, much like myself and and even a, a lot of our listeners, they are they they they've seen the evolution of all of these different ways that people are making income. Like you were, you, you were running a blog and as many people know, that used to be one of the ways that people used to promote making money. Oh, you know, start a blog. And it's like, okay, start a blog. What's it going to be about? Are you committed to writing every day? What about Google optimization? What about Google AdWords? Oh no, nobody talks about that. It's so true, man. Like I'm kind of just laughing at myself here as you're saying that, because that's exactly what it was when people, now it's podcast, but when I was starting in blogging, people were asking me all the time, I'm like, oh, I want to start a blog like you did. And they're like, <laughs> uh, they're like I, I could just go to like WordPress.com and do it. I'm like, no, you need to go to WordPress.org because you need self-hosted because you need the SEO boost. And they're like, yep. I don't really want to do all that. I just want to know how you did it to be successful. Uh-huh. I'm like, that's what I did. I'm like, I put in, again, way too much money because I didn't know what to do. I was testing things all the time. I'm like, but the system for it to actually work is a lot more than what you think. The, the truth is, here's like kind of the, the whole thing. We're all looking to get rich quick and there really isn't a way to do that. Nope. Like maybe you can set things up the right way so you can accelerate your success, but there's no get rich quick. Like you've got to put in the work because if you didn't, everyone else would already be doing whatever that is. Well, the and, and with blogging, the funny thing was that people would go start a blog and they'd see like, oh, this person started a travel blog. And next thing you know, they're they're writing articles for for travel magazine. I'm like, you do realize that. The person, number one, had to be a good writer. And the other thing is, and this happens, it's like there's there's circumstances where it's lightning in a bottle. Maybe that person just got into the space at the right time when everybody else kind of folded. I mean, the the scariest thing, and you know this as a podcaster, is the fact that there are so many podcasts out there, but there's also among that podcasting uh, city, so to speak, is a massive graveyard of podcasts that have been abandoned. Or that people just they started and lost interest in and pod faded. So it 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 really drives home the point that there's just you know people people want to eat the sausage but don't want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> right, man. You know, actually, podcasting is a great example for that. I, I just recently was looking at the stats, doing a deep dive. Uh, Lipson was helping with this as well. I don't use Lipson directly, but they they do a great job yep. knowing the numbers. But there's almost two million podcasts like on Apple technically. And out of those, I wanted to see, okay, how many of those two, two million are active? Because that sounds like a lot, right? Like everyone's yep. on the podcast at this point. I looked at active podcasts, which Apple determines that based on posting within the last 90 days. I would say if you're not posting in 90 days, you're inactive. But anyway, they look at that as being active. So within the last 90 days, 
So I looked at those episodes, like podcasts with, that, are, that are still considered active. And then I was like, how many of those have more than 10 episodes? And out of the 2 million total podcasts, there's less than 400,000 that have more than 10 episodes and are considered active right now. I mean, that should tell you something right there about like, okay, everyone wants to start a podcast. Most people are not going to succeed. I mean, that's, that's less than 25% of podcasters actually going to be making it past 10 episodes and staying active. Like yep. it's more work that people set out, like cut out for it to be. And most people stop, like we're saying, Rich, because it's like, I have four episodes out and there's only 30 people listening. Yep. Right. Like that, that's what happens. And people are like, Oh, that, that that's it. Oh man, I, I can't keep up with this. It just must be the wrong vehicle <laughs> for me or something like that. Well, you know, it, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the numbers because what happens is, and I tell a lot of, a lot of people I've told, you know, hosts on our podcast network, I've told people that are getting into it that quote unquote want to pick my brain. I tell them like, listen, yeah, sure. You put out your first podcast, you got 10 downloads. Maybe you got 25, maybe you got 50. But I said to myself, I said to myself and I say it to them afterwards, I go, how many times in a day do you genuinely talk to 10 people or 25 people that are literally hanging on your every word? It's not often. We don't even talk to that many people in our daily life unless, you know, you're doing public speaking, like in your case, or doing something, uh, you know, coaching or anything like that. But honestly, it's like in your daily life, you probably talk to maybe five or six people by the time you shut your eyes at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a good point. And that's actually the same perspective I like to give people about podcasting. Because I'll just use 50 as the example because it's a nice even number. Yep. If you have 50 people listening, social media has conditioned us to think that 50 people is not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But if I told you, and this is a perspective, I always get people like, oh, I don't think I'm going to keep on going on the podcast. There's only 50 people listening. I tell them this. I'm like, all right, if, if we're in a room right now, this is this is back before like when I'd be doing in-person coaching. But I'm like, if there is a room right behind us right now, I open that door and there are 50 people sitting in seats and I put you on a stage. And they want to hear you. They yep. are they are ready to take notes. They are interested. And they're going to come back every single week. Would you show up every single week? And every person I've ever done this with, they're like, oh, well, of course. There's 50 people there. And I'm like, your podcast is exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sure, you're not seeing them face-to-face, but they're they're listening to you. They want to hear your words. It is way more powerful than someone scrolling past you on social media. And I'm not, I'm not saying social media isn't powerful, but the truth is, if 50 people see a post on social media, it means they, they scroll right past it with their thumb, right? Maybe even liked it on their way. but they didn't really pay much effort, but someone listening to you for an hour, dude, that is, that is a different level of, of influence in somebody's life. And if you've got 50 people doing that, or even 10, 20, whatever it might be, that is worthwhile in my mind. Well, the scariest part is people see, you know, the Joe Rogans, the Mark Marins, all of these, all of these major forces in the industry. I mean, even, even going outside of mainstream and going right even into our own backyard as podcasters, they'll see like the John Lee Dumas, the Tim Ferriss. And, and I, and it's like, listen, Tim Ferriss had a, had a built in audience because he had put out like two books before he started like doing podcasting. So if you're using him as your barometer of success, then, then you're going to be, you're going to be very upset. (laughs) You know, you're going to be, you're going to be real pissed off when, when you're like, oh, you know, I wrote an ebook and put it on Amazon and why don't I have 5,000 downloads in my first five episodes? Well, that's not how that works. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, man. I actually wrote this article that was a little bit confrontational. I didn't necessarily mean for it to be, but it, it was probably the title that I used. I said, please tr- please stop trying to change the world is what I titled it. Please stop trying to change the world. <laughs> and I was talking about how like I was actually in, in Clubhouse listening to a room uh, and continuously every person that got up was talking about how they want to start this business. They believe they're going to change the world. They're going to change the world. They're going to do this. And I think that's really an honorable idea. But the thing is, I realized that people who are trying to change the world 
never change one life because they're still trying to figure out how they can scale it to change the world. Yep. When in reality, a much better idea is how can I change one person's life that I can actually impact today? Like my experience, how can I help one person today? And my whole idea with that article was just to try to get people to shift that mindset. And again, a lot of people didn't necessarily agree with it. But for me, I still go back to that. Like I don't need to be another Tim Ferriss or John Lee Dumas like you're talking about or even Joe Rogan, right? I need to be Alex Sanfilippo and Alex Sanfilippo needs to show up to serve that one or two people that can actually benefit from hearing my story. And that I might be able to teach. I just need to be one step ahead of somebody. I don't need to be the greatest in the world or try to serve everybody. So for me, it's just a matter of, can I identify that one or two people every day? And if I can, can I serve them with my all and make their life better, their business better somehow, some way, and let them just accelerate off of that. And then just repeat every single day. And that's been my mentality. And obviously I've had to work to develop that because that's very counterculture to have a, an idea like that. But I realize that I'm more fulfilled by doing that than trying to serve the masses. So with that said, you, you know, blogging and, and podcasting go hand in hand. Um, what was the tipping point that led you to start creating that you're creating a brand podcast? Yeah. So going back to the, and I'm glad you brought this thing full circle, but you're a fantastic podcast host, by the way. Uh, I'm nice. listening to episode 41 right now. Like, uh, Brianna Peters, is that who it was? The, yep. the Gotham podcast studio. Yeah. Loving it so far. But anyway, you do a, a great job. And I encourage your listeners to go back and listen to that episode because that's that's already been pretty sweet. Uh, not always through it yet, but so far it's good. But anyway, uh, you, you brought it back full circle. So yeah, I did the aerospace thing. I worked my way up. I got into senior leadership at the organization. So I was a, a divisional director and uh, that they don't even do VP level. So that was it. Like that was the next, I reported directly to the president and uh, did really well. And like I said, it went public. It became part of a big organization. There is now shareholders that keep happy. And for the first time in a long time, I realized I couldn't flex those entrepreneurial muscles at all anymore. And because when you hit that point, which is the goal of most businesses, right? But I, I couldn't be creative because there was a six month process to implement anything at this point. Like yes. if we want to do something different, it's like, okay, we got to talk to the board. We got to talk to the shareholders. So there's no more like, hey, I got this idea. And the next day we were trying it. Like that wasn't a thing anymore. And that really... Again, I love this business till the day I left. Like it was, it was bittersweet to leave, but I realized I couldn't flex that muscle anymore. And because of that, I was like, well, I really like content creation. I've been blogging on the side just for fun for years. And people kept on telling me I should get into podcasting, like saying that people that I really trusted and, and, and they're part of my life. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. So I decided to launch a podcast. I found like the area I really wanted to focus on, which is entrepreneurship. People that are really early, like maybe just have an idea right now and they're trying to make that first or early next step the right one. That's the people that I focus on with creating a brand. And I just decided to go for it. And that allowed me to, again, start feeling like oh, I'm an entrepreneur, like I can flex this muscle again. And that was really the, the motivation behind doing that was, hey, can I serve these people that are really early on? And can I feel fulfilled of what I'm doing once again? Well, the thing about it was, how was, let, let's talk, let's talk about the first episode, let, let you recording your first episode. What did you did you go out and buy a whole bunch of equipment or did you start really small? How did, what did you, how was it recording your first episode and then hitting stop and then hitting publish? Yeah. Uh, if I could describe it one word, maybe scary. Um, as you, as you remember, right. The first yep. time you ever did a podcast, you're like, this isn't good or something. Along those oh lines. man. I, I listened to the old, uh, 2006 stuff I did before I started doing live podcasts in 2009. And I was just like, man, this is just not like, how did people sit through this? And I was doing like long form, like two, three hour shows, you know? <laughs> uh, man, I, I, mine weren't that long, but they were also too long when I got started. But 
you know, at the end of the day, I, I procrastinated for a while. Like I, I, I just, I didn't do it right. But like I was looking at what to buy too much. Like what mic should I get? What should my intro be? How should my cover art be? In all reality, like I spent way too much time doing those things. And if I could go back, I would have, if I could go back now, I would have launched six months earlier and just gotten that content out, got the reps in and just went for it. And yeah, when I hit publish the first time, it was super scary. Like I wasn't confident in like what I was sharing, I was confident in, but I wasn't confident in my voice, my ability to deliver that. And it was one of those things that like, I, I just had to get that courage. And that's, by the way, one of the main things people lack when they're starting something is courage. But I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna hit that publish button. Like I hit record, I listened to it. The quality was good enough. Like I knew it would serve people. And I just kind of, I feel like I put a blindfold on, hit the publish button. It was like, don't tell me what people are saying, you know, like, but thankfully I got a lot of really great feedback from, from day one. And from then on, it was just for me getting the reps in. And today, like I'll, I'll still jump on other shows of people that I care about. Like Rich, I'm on your show today because I, I care about what you do and I want to, I want to be part of it. Right. And so I'm here and I'm still just continuously developing that muscle of like, Hey, can I get better and better at this? So I just have my mindset on instead of perfection, just continuous improvement. And having that from day one, having the courage to hit publish has served me really well along the way. What was your what was your first piece of gear to when you started your podcast? Uh, Yeti Blue or Yeti. Well, I don't know. One of those Yeti mics. And I was using uh, some sort of I don't can't even remember like what I was using to actually record. It was some sort of like uh, just basic recording software that lets you record. I was doing it locally at first. Like I didn't even know how to do a remote. So I was just like sitting in a. Um, I was my friend, uh, she had a, uh, her family had like a camper and it turns out campers have like, they're perfect for like a random recording studio because they don't echo for some reason, the way that they're built, I guess. So right. I was like, okay. I can jump in this camper and, and bring people over here that are local. We can record right here. And that's uh, amazing. I just had this like little Yeti and some sort of like little recorder on the computer. And I figured out how to upload that and did very little editing, if any, and just it publish uh, on those first things. And yeah, it was, it was done in like a little trailer thing, which was kind of fun. Like I, I look back to that. I'm kind of like, kind of missed that. Cause it was like, I bring, I bring all my gear in like a, an old Amazon box and just set it up and, uh, and kind of went for it. But that's kind of the origin story of the podcast. And it's crazy because you know, you're, you're, you're on the verge, you're in striking distance of a hundred episodes. And the thing about it is when, when I, when I look at that, obviously consistency is one thing, but the thing that you've done with your podcast, which is great, is that you found a way to get value from an entrepreneurial standpoint from every person's story. I mean, it, you know, from from the way you're titling the episodes that you're using, just the right the right buzzwords to get people's attention. I mean, the the one you put out earlier in in, in the month about reducing anxiety and stress. I mean, with everything going on currently, that is an easy that is a that is an easy alley oop for someone that's trying to just figure out because that's the other thing too there's so many podcasts in the space and you know you thumb through you're trying to see eh, is this person and a lot of times it's the titles or the subject matter that gets people's interest and i think that's one thing that you've done really well is that you've really figured out a way to to find those those nuggets of wisdom to frame your episodes to get people to jump on board which obviously takes me into what i want to ask you know, you, you, you're very proud of your honor of, of being a, a top 20 entrepreneur, entrepreneurship podcast. And I want to talk about that. How was, how was that feeling finding out you were a top 20 show? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was very fulfilling. Like I felt like the work that I had put into it really paid off. And 
uh, again, just me going back to my roots of being an entrepreneur, this really allowed me to, to once again, flex that creativity. It was great to see it paying off. And still this day, though, I really, I don't get into the numbers, man. And I've been getting asked a lot, like, when, how often should you look at your downloads? Yeah. I only listen once a month and it's not to see the numbers to make sure there wasn't like a total drop off because then basically make sure there's nothing wrong, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if I lose 90% of my listeners in one day, I'm like, okay, one of the directories is, is, is broken. I got to figure out how to fix that real quick. Or also to make sure people are finishing the episodes. Like I like to see, okay, are people actually completing listening to the episodes? Are we making them too long? Are they too short? Like there's always that sweet spot. I just look once a month. At the end of the day, like I've had to develop this mindset. Like at first I was really proud of that. I'm like, oh, maybe I could get to like top 10 or like, or, or anything like that. And I, I really stopped focusing on that because it, it breeds the wrong thing. That's that's falling into the culture again, going into like, okay, you got top 20, you need to get top 15 now, and then you need to get yep. this, right? As we already talked about, but instead of, I remind myself every day that I'm doing this, do for one person what I wish I could do for all. And do the thing- for one person what I wish I could do for all. And that's something I just always have to keep front of mind that it's not about the numbers, about me impacting another life and adding the value with the content. And yes, I do a good job on like the titles and stuff like that, but it's not to be clickbait. It is nope. again to serve somebody. And and that's exactly it. I think that that and I like that you preface that, you know, it's not clickbait because what happens and you see this all the time. And I'm glad you brought up like how the people asking how often they should check numbers, how often this, I always tell people, look at the stuff you like to consume on a daily basis, whether it's media consumption through social media consumption through TV, like what brings you to the dance? What makes you want to tune into a show every week? What makes you want to engage with that personality? It's like a great example will be like people that love reality shows. It's like, why do you watch them? And then they'll be like, oh, you know, it's mindless entertainment or, you know, I'm interested in the person's story or whatever the case may be. And the funny thing about that is that when you look at that, that decision making, it's like, why do you listen to that podcast? Not most times it's those types of, of consumption values that bring you into those other markets. Like, like I was talking to you before and I said about, you know, some people want to don't they like the sausage but don't want to know how it's made i think that there's so many people out there that they're curious about other success because there's so many lessons they can take from it i mean in your case and even the way you titled it it's like you're creating a brand people's misconception of branding is that it does necessarily it doesn't necessarily have to be a business you're the brand why can't you create yourself as a brand yeah. And, you know, the, the reason I really title it that is going back into what you just said there, but it's the value I was able to add throughout my, my years in aerospace. Like the, this was kind of like a lot of it was my focus. Like how do we get ourselves in the right mindset? How do we focus on what matters? How do we just make small baby steps? Like, again, those are the things that helped me succeed in the long run. And when I, when I started this podcast, it's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like, okay, like when I named him, I'm like, it's going to be about creating a brand, like the, the art of creating a brand for somebody like making that one step every day to get closer to what your goal is to your personal brand. Like, sure, it can turn into a big organization, but like, how can you get it there along the way? So I'm glad that you brought that up because that really was the focus. And all I was doing, like you're saying, some people's reality TV for me was like taking small micro steps every day to grow your business. That's yep. just something that that really I developed over the years is an understanding how to do that. So I wanted to add that value to the world. And that's exactly why I focused on that for the exact reason you just shared, man. What what has evolved over the last 87 episodes in terms of you uh, creating a brand of the podcast itself, meaning, you know, what 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 steps have you taken to just fine tune and and fix any missteps you've had along the way? Because I'm sure that maybe you said, 
maybe this episode didn't hit the right way, or maybe this guest story, maybe I could have framed it differently. What were some things you ran into and how did you overcome those particular things to get you to the stage where you're at now? Like I said, within striking distance of a hundred episodes. Yeah. So first off, the, the very first thing I realized is because someone gave me the great advice of looking at the completion time of episodes, like are people listening all the way through? And I listened, I realized that the listeners were not quite getting that far. So the first thing I did was shorten it up. I think I started off with like 50 minutes, but again, if I thought like, which isn't too long for a normal podcast, that's fine. But I, I realized my audience I was going for was busy entrepreneurs. So they usually have a full-time job and they're trying to start something on the side. And I was, and someone brought it up. They're like, well, those episodes are too long. Those two aren't going to have time. They're only going to listen when they're in the car or when they're in the gym for a little bit. And they're already pressed for time when they're trying to do this. And that made a lot of sense. So when I shortened up the episodes, they did a lot better. But that forced me to get a lot more content in shorter time. And what I realized was, based off polling my audience, they weren't as interested for my show. Again, this isn't wrong for other shows, but my show, they weren't as interested in hearing some of the backstory. Like what we're talking about today, this never gets shared on my podcast because it's just not the flow of it. Right. The flow is straight into the action. Like, so you mentioned that one, like overcoming stress and anxiety. She gave us five steps for doing that. And we jumped straight into those five steps. I'm like, hey, thanks for being here, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Can you give us these five steps? Like we basically, <laughs> obviously, so but more than that, we just yep. jump right into it. Very action packed, straight to the point, heavy note taking. And that's just my audience that I've developed. So it was just a matter of really honing in on that. And I, I believe that I continuously just get better and better and better and more accurate with it. But now I'm at the point where I know around 30 to 35 minutes is the sweet spot for the episode time, straight into the action, no like real stories, starting in with something maybe funny or fun along the way, uh, but very, very brief and just get straight into it. Short intro, short outro. And it's worked really well for me. I'm going to continuously tweak that, but I think that I've really kind of found the spot that it works really well and really serves my listeners. Well, it, it's interesting because one of the, one of the things that when we connected early on got my attention was a lot of the articles that you shared um through through Podmatch but it's funny because i looked at Podmatch as a great service to to connect with guests and then here you are just dropping these the the these heaters when it comes to some of the blog posts and i'm <laughs> Thanks, like man. i'm like well damn i'm like this guy this guy's trying to hit, give hit you with the one two punch and i want to get into that but the funny the funny thing is that Some of the content you've put out made me question, not question, but made me wonder, you know, ways that I could just even fine tune this that I'm doing, because what happens is, you know, you look at the show and there was a, I think it was in clubhouse or it was on uh, Facebook and people were like, man, you know, like, does a podcast need an intro? Should you have an intro? How long is your intro? Do you talk prior to jumping right into it? So I did a last week's guest after i did the episode i'm like oh you know i'm gonna start checking if i should do any sort of an intro or just jump right into the interview just because of like what i've seen and you know you were a catalyst and a few other people about exactly that like like hey does do people want the intro do people want any sort of personal connection and then i'm like but damn you know like you want something to kind of connect with 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 the host that you're listening to you know yeah, I'm actually glad that, that I kind of maybe challenged some of your thinking. But that's kind of the idea, especially in my experience like you, that actually means I'm, I'm doing a good job. Like that just made my day hearing that. Yep. <laughs> not that you're not that you're necessarily going to change anything, but the fact that it made you even think about it means, again, I, I, I did something right with what I said or wrote. So um, I am glad to hear that. But to your point, like there's probably no right or wrong answer. I mean, there there is some obviously general ideas that everyone should do, but I've heard you and I both heard some of the biggest podcasts in the world. Some of those guys don't do intros. Nope. They just go straight into it. And 
again, there's no right or wrong answer. And for me, it all goes back to, am I serving the people that I am supposed to be serving? Am I, is, am I hitting the right, the right mark for those individuals? And that's what it comes down to. And I think we're getting to the point where there's actually less fluff even. Um, and not saying it's bad if you have some like elaborate intro, which, which you don't, yours is really good. You get straight into it. And I like that. You jump into some housekeeping stuff. Like, I think you do a really good job with it. Some people have some like three minute introduction that like really goes into all of it. I don't know if that's always necessary. Mine might even be a little bit long, but it's one of those things. Again, it goes back to, am I serving the people I'm supposed to be serving? And am I tweaking that along the way to just improve it? And we kind of, it's trial and error, man. You just learn as you go. Well, with, with, with your show and with, with a few others, but I want to use short yours specifically. How did you, how did you determine person when you wanted to kind of withdraw yourself and focus on the guests? And the reason I say this is because, you know, you're hitting play for the first time. You want to know Alex Sanfilippo. Yeah. The guest is great, but you're the person that brought them there along with the guest. Like, do you kind of feel sometimes you're like, man, I'm just a conduit to deliver this person's information. Like, where do I fit into the mix? You know, because that's a, that's a very, it's a very delicate balance. I feel like a lot of, a lot of times. And just from over the years, people will be like, Hey man, you know, I heard your story about X or growing up in New York. And I remember what it was like. And it's like, wow, then somebody actually connected with, with me as a person versus just, Oh, you know, uh, making the, your podcast very transactional. Yeah, this is a good question. And I have to admit, I don't have the the greatest answer at this point. Like I haven't arrived at this yet, but I will mention that like, I like to jump on other shows like yours because my audience does like to hear from me. So I will be sharing this with my audience. It'll go out to all of them. And a lot of them are going to listen because they're like, Ooh, it's, it's actually Alex. This is just interviewing (laughs) somebody. And, uh, so that's always a big plus for me. And plus it works for you because then you have more people listening to your show. But anyway, um, for, for me, I'm still trying to find this sweet spot. Like I know that I'm supposed to be interviewing these people because they bring better information than I can. Right. True subject matter experts. Like if you told me to give you five ways to avoid stress and anxiety, like I don't know what to tell you. Like (laughs) I do know it matters for for people early on in entrepreneurship, especially because they get stressed, they get anxious about what they're doing, but I, I can't be the guy to deliver that. What I can do is do a good job getting that information out of somebody. And a lot of people like that, but at the same time, I'm, I'm struggling with like, do I add a second day where it's me maybe sharing some sort of short information of what, what I'm learning along the way? Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out. But again, it goes back to what I just mentioned right last time I was talking and it's trial and error. It's getting yep. out there and trying it. And at some point I'm going to pull the trigger and do a solo episode and just see how it goes. For all I know, people would be like, wow, that was not good, Alex. Like stick to, <laughs> stick to your interviews, you know, and if I get that feedback, great. It means I know that I'm in the right direction. Now, if people say, wow, this is better than your interviews, this is amazing, then I've got to really start thinking about some things, right? Right. But I think that we can't get too stuck in our own ways and not be willing to evolve. Like, just because I've always used the same intro doesn't mean I shouldn't change it now. Right. Like, our audiences grow, our audiences evolve, and we have to be willing to adjust with that. And that's hard for a lot of people. You find something that works and you want to keep it like that for the rest of your life. And that's just, that's not realistic. Like, our audience should be growing with us and we should be able to change things along the way. So, Again, I don't have the best answer for you on this one, but it's something that I really am exploring. And I'm glad that you brought it up because I think that everybody, no matter where you're at, you should always be exploring this and saying, what's the next best thing I can do to continue to serve the world? Well, and that leads us, you know, that's a, that, that that's the, the the great pass right into into Podmatch, which is exactly that. Um, you know, it, it's connecting you, the host, with potential guests. But the beauty of what you're doing is that you're also finding ways to connect 
your host with your guests utilizing uh, the data that they're putting in. It's not just, hey, I need guests for my podcast. Let me just, you know, pay and spray, just rapid fire, go in and send <laughs> yeah. out 14 pitches and hope for the best. Because sometimes, and you know this, especially running running this business, that sometimes that guest that tells you they'd be a great fit just aren't. Like maybe the maybe the vibe they bring just isn't the vibe for your show. And I want to talk more about that because I feel that that service is something. And I remember that's how we connected. And you were like, hey, check it out. And I said, yeah, you know, I found I'm using X service that does this too. Um, but I want to see what you bring to the table that's different. And I yeah. want to talk about that in particular and how that, you know, that type of approach led to Podmatch even being born. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go into that origin story. It's pretty quick. Basically, for the last few years, I've been doing podcasts. And I've been speaking at podcasting conferences. And in 2020, the beginning of the year, which it was an in-person conference, Rich, which I don't know if you remember what that's like, but yep. shaking people's hands, hugging, high-fiving, like that used to be a thing we did um, with thousands of people in the same room. Yep. But anyway, I was, I was at this conference. I was speaking at it. And I remember when I got off stage, one of my things, my goal was, okay, well, can I find a way to better help these podcasters? Because I'm one myself. So many of these people, you include Rich, people that have just helped me along the way with their wisdom. You've been doing this longer than I have. Like learning from these people has really been helpful for me. So I was like, I want to give back somehow, some way. So when I jumped off stage, I started just talking to people and asking, them, hey, what are you struggling with? And I continuously heard, like there's a lot of random things, of course, but the, the trend I was hearing was I'm having trouble finding the right guest. Mm -hmm. And keyword there is rights, not not guests. Like there's yep. a lot of people that will be on, like you got to line out your door today, Rich. If you're like, I'm going to do interviews here in New York, right? Like there'd be a line out the door wanting to talk to you. They're not all the right fit. Yep. And so these hosts were having that trouble. And so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll kind of think about this. And while I was there, I realized at this conference, about 2000 people there, some of them weren't actually podcasters. They were there because they were trying to promote a course, a new company, or like a book that they had just released. And I was like, oh, wow, you're, what are you looking for? And they're like, oh, I'm here to try to find the, the right podcast host that can be on their shows. And I remember even while I was there, I was making connections. I'm like, I just talked with somebody that would be great to have you on their show. So I was like making those introductions while I was there. And for, for lack of a better term, it was like a light bulb moment. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, is, should there be like a service that matches people like this? And I'm not always the smartest guy in the world, but when I came home, it took me a few days. But then I realized, I'm like, why don't we just do what online dating apps do? Like they connect people based off their interests, yep. off of their availability, their their specific like like gender they're interested in, like all kinds of things, right? Like, And basically, I just took that same idea and we developed it into what's Podmatch today. And it would, the idea is not just to help you find more people to potentially be on your show, but actually to find people that would be a good match, a good fit. And like you're saying, they're not always going to be right. Like there might just be the wrong vibe from somebody, but on paper, they could be like the perfect guest, but it's the wrong vibe. It's the wrong vibe. But at least this helped point you in that right direction. Uh, in working with, with Podmatch and using it, you know, to, to book some guests, which I've, I've booked already a few over the coming weeks, I've come to the realization that, you know, service there are services out there that connect hosts with guests and then there are services like podmatch which connect meaningful guests with meaningful hosts mm -hmm. like that's yeah. that's pretty much how i see it because like the people that the algorithm sends me for for podmatch and and i actually recently realized i'm like crap i'm not on here as a guest um <laughs> i ended up doing a guest profile it's exactly that you kind of just want some of those meaningful commonalities. I think that was one of the reasons why, you know, I said, you know, I, I got to get Alex on the show because there's a lot of stuff that's very similar. And I think that that's something we kind of gravitate towards people that have similar interests or similar stories or, you know, 
uh, same hells, different devils, like that, like right. that kind of a, that kind of a camaraderie brings people together. And I think podcasting is interesting in that, especially hosts, there's, there's an unspoken level of camaraderie amongst them because they know we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. It's either enlighten, entertain, or inform. So seeing, seeing you do that and just embrace that so much was, was very refreshing. And like I said, on top of that, you're bringing value with some of the posts. Um, you know, your cancel culture post was fantastic because I said to myself, this is playing out now, which we've seen. Yeah. You know, it's playing out now day to day. And what people don't understand is that a lot of the stuff that a lot of these personalities have get involved in, get involved in the next thing, you know, is they're, they're finding them on a podcast they were on five years ago. They're finding them in, 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 you know, a soundbite that they did five years ago. And I laugh because I always say to myself, I remember when I was doing my podcast, it had it was what I like to do. What, you know, the term is very blue, you know, very New York, very unscripted. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I would, it, we would curse. We would say funny things. It, it worked. And I said to myself years later, I said, you know, if I ever ran for president or any kind of public office oh, no. and somebody <laughs> went and searched for that. They'd find, you know, a lot of blue comedy, a lot of, you know, yeah. New York jokes, a lot of uh, stereotypical humor growing up, uh, you know, Hispanic in New York City. And it's just funny because exactly what you were saying is that it's underlying and it's out there. Yeah. And it's yeah. a it's a scary, it's scary concept. It really is. I was thinking that same thing the other day, uh, like if I was to run for president, which, by the way, is today not happening, but, it, you know, um, Let's just say that was going to be the case. People would dig this stuff up, which and like you, I mean, sure, like we have some maybe borderline stuff. But it's just funny. Like you don't mean anything by it. Yep. But people today make stuff out of nothing, like things that were one point harmless. Now they make them seem like it was the, the worst thing that any human being has ever done. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I'm thankful for anybody who runs for president because I think it's a it's a true act of selflessness. But, dude, I'd be scared what people could pull up. It's probably stuff I don't even remember. And again, none of it was intentionally bad. Like I'm not. I've never been somebody who's been, I, I grew up in like a melting pot, man. Like I've never been somebody who was like racist or done or said anything really bad, but like someone would find something that they, they could look back on. But anyway, it's a side note there. Well, no, well, it, it, in a sense though, the, the content, that content, you know, even, even, even from a side note perspective, I want to remind people like when, and this comes back to something that I tell people when they want to get money for podcasting, I always tell them, I'm like, listen, podcasting is evergreen. Even that abandoned podcast from 10 years ago is still in the ether. It's still out there. And you know what? That ten, that podcast from 10 years ago may get the occasional download. So, sure. you know, Michael Hyatt's a great example of that. He has a podcast he's doing right now, but uh, Lead to Win is his new one. But he had another one. I can't even remember what it was, was called exactly, but it's still like a very popular podcast. I don't think he's posted an episode in eight years, but yep. it's still like one that is often getting trending because it's great evergreen content that he wrote. Yep. And I tell people that all the time. And I want to I want to go into a pod match a little more because I feel that that what you're bringing is like I always say it's a it's a it's a double edged sword in terms of value you're bringing connection for guests you're also allowing podcasters to be guests which is great and uh, you know I share a lot of your blog posts we have a, a Facebook group message for all our hosts so when you know they were asking about getting guests and stuff like that I'm like oh Alex might have a good post and I drop one in Thanks there for that. That's cool, man. You know, so these guys, you know, a lot of the hosts, they get it. And the thing about it is that the, the scary part with running a business in your case 
is that podcasting, while it's niche, it's starting to blow up heavy. Yeah. And I want to, I want to actually get your thoughts on that because with your service and what you're doing, how has this impact, how has this massive influx of just a spotlight on podcasting influenced Podmatch and what you're doing? Yeah, it's, it, this has been tough to figure out because I'm glad you brought this up. This is a really good point because podcasting is blowing up. And when you say podcasting, you mean all podcasts, like there's more comedy podcasts, there's more true crime, there's more entrepreneurship, there's more of every category you can imagine. And for us, it's like blurred the lines of who's our avatar. Because often I'm like, okay, when we started, it was like, okay, it's me a lot of business podcasts, I'm sure. And it was initially. And then I know where like all these sports podcasts started joining. I was like, uh oh, I don't know anything about this. Like going back to my story, like I've never been good at sports. Like, yeah, I love football cards. But other than that, like, I don't know much about sports. And it's one of those things like, so our avatar can't just be a business person trying to find guests for his podcast because then we have all these different ones. So it's blurring the lines for me on who our avatar is, like our most ideal customer because of how many people are joining the platform that are all these different categories. Like I had an email from somebody yesterday who just joined and they are very focused in the autism side of podcasting. And like, hey, I noticed there's not too many on there. Can, is there a way we can get more of them I'm like, I didn't even know this was a category for podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, like I never heard of that. So for me, it's just been a matter of really, what the way it, what kind of where I've narrowed this down to is doing my best every single week to listen to people that are using the platform, finding a diverse group of people and just hearing, okay, how is this working for you? Are there a lot of podcasts in your, in your niche that you're in? And just doing this, and I'm doing this by, uh, I just like to call it doing things that don't scale, which is I'm actually getting on calls with these individuals. So next Friday, I've got a whole group of calls with people that are actually using Podmatch. Some of them are new, some have been on for a while, some of them just have really random topics they cover. And just hearing them out, listening, and seeing what I can learn from it, and making some sort of data out of what they're sharing to see how I can continue growing this thing. But right now, man, that's the only way I've been able to figure out how to do this. There's no like, this is exactly my narrow focus, because now it's like, okay, podcasting is blowing up. So I've got to just hear the people out and see what they're looking for and see how I can tackle that strategically. Well, it's it's funny because I have, you know, I have a, a sibling with autism. So it's interesting that that can't that somebody approached you for that. And I'll, I'll be honest, as somebody who has somebody in that that falls into that category, the information that's out there, there's so much misinformation mm-hmm. that okay. just that just honestly, if you know, if you can cultivate mental health experts, people that deal in that space, I feel it's very, very underserved. And people are always like, you know, like my story is really weird and I'm not going to get into it, but they'll be like, oh, you know, you should really share some of that stuff, man, because that's a great resource. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to just take my personal life and turn it into a podcast. I had deliberated it and to a point, but um, it's it's just weird for, for me to kind of use that as like an autobiography. But I'll yeah. be honest in terms of just those, those pain points, like you were just acknowledging, like right now you're, you didn't mess with sports and more sports podcasters are going in there. So, you know, you're going to have to go into some Facebook groups that tackle sports or sports podcast, Facebook groups and be like, all right, who do we got here? Who wants to sign up for a service? Because the problem is it's exactly, it's exactly that. I mean, one of my guys runs a wrestling podcast and I remember someone from Podmatch reached out and they were like, Hey, you know, they emailed me on the side. And they're like, hey, we'd love to have you on our wrestling podcast. And I'm like, oh, that's not for me. I don't do it anymore. So I had to email email my guy and tell him because he wasn't signed up for Podmatch. You see what I mean? So I yeah. think that that the problem is that so many people want to get into the space and so many people are trying to do that. 
and you're over here just trying to get a little sampling of everything for everybody. And it is incredibly difficult. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I think that we've done a good job figuring out how to do this. Like we, we put a lot on our members. So like we're very member driven. Our roadmap for what we develop in the future now, like what we're working on is all member driven. Like we don't come up with the ideas for it. We ask them, we give credit to the person who came up with the idea or the group of people who came up with it. And by doing this, these individuals have been, and we have a, a great affiliate system built in, people have been willing to share on, on our behalf. And that's really helped us grow. But I really like what you just shared. Like you shared about like autism and understanding like you need what you need in that space, like the type of people that you need to come on and talk. Like I didn't know that. And so that like that's already good information for me, knowing that those are people within Podmatch that I reach out to now and just ask, like, okay, do you have any ideas for how we could do this? Would you mind sharing with your network? Like yep. doing that has kind of built our own army of marketers, if you will. And it's because we're listening, like we care. Uh, that's one thing that I always, I, I hear this on almost a daily basis. Someone will email and be like, hey, I really appreciate the fact that you, you care about the success of the members. Like you're not just here trying to get more people to join. You are here to help us all succeed. And I, I'm very thankful. I'm not trying to say it pridefully, but I hear that almost every day. And that that means a lot to me. And by doing that, serving these people, I believe we'll keep on expanding as podcast expands. And thus far, it's, it's worked really well for us. Although, again, lines have been blurred from like what our avatar is and stuff. But we're we're constantly evolving and getting better and figuring that out. Now, the, the shift to virtual, how has that been for you and for Podmatch as a brand? Because I feel like, you know, I mean, you know, I mentioned Clubhouse as, as a reference point. But I go into Clubhouse here and there, and a lot of times I'll see you in like four or five different rooms just on the grind. And I wanted to ask, you know, how have things like being virtual now and Clubhouse and things like that, how have they impacted your approach towards growing Podmatch and making it uh, just a viable option for people that are looking for guest opportunities or hosts that are looking for guests? Well, it's actually made it a lot easier. And the reason being is I realize that any public speaker with any profession they're not public speaking right now. Like they're doing it virtually, just like yep. the rest of us. And they, most of them, even if they're used to getting paid are really interested in jumping on podcasts because it's a way they can continue to flex that muscle, right? I mean, if you are used to public speaking every week and then you take two years off or a year off, you're going to be a little rusty first time you get back in front of people. Like, I don't care how good of a speaker you are, how trained you are. Like it's going to, you're going to be like, all right, I got to shake the, the rust off a little bit of what I'm doing here. And so this gives them the opportunity to continuously flex that muscle. So for me, it's actually like going virtual has been very easy. Like we, the idea for Podmatch, I mean, like when I really solidified it and we wrote it down on a whiteboard was where it started, that was March 10th, 2020. I mean, we were already at that point, the whole world was pretty much going virtual at that point. And we launched an early beta on June 15th, 2020. And we were well into pandemic mode at that point, right? Yeah. So it really, we kind of were born during this time. And I actually feel it served us better because if I told public speakers in 2018, if I launched then, said, hey, you should join us and be on podcast. I'd be like, no, I'm traveling every week to speak on a stage. Like, I'm not interested. Yep. And now people instead, they're like, yes, please. I would love this. Let me get some of my friends on here as well. So it's helped us grow a lot organically and a lot faster because it's given them a platform once again that they lost. So for me, the digital space has done really well for me. And I like to say that it's as, um, I guess, empathetically as I possibly can, because I know it's been really tough for a lot of people. This is just one of those spaces where it made sense and actually worked for it. Now, but you know, before we, we jump into the hot seat, I wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned that, you know, your, your wife was very supportive. Your family was very supportive. Um, jumping into this, this next endeavor, launching this platform. Um, did you run this by like your, your spouse, your family, just to get some ideas and thoughts and bounce ideas off of them? Or did you just, um, 
kind of say, hey, I'm going in this direction and they just supported you along the way. And the reason I ask is because that inner circle, you know, the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, they influence some of our decisions more than others. Yeah, they really do. I'm really intentional with my inner circles. And a lot of my inner circle isn't even family. I don't mean that to be mean or anything like that, but I have some friends that they're all entrepreneurs and they were all for this idea. They had some like things they could add to it as well, which was pretty cool. But regarding my family specifically, first off, of course, I, I'm, my wife and I are very close and obviously like we're spouses, but I feel like not everyone's close with their spouse. Very true. We, we, we've, we've done a lot together. And, um, so I brought it straight up to her. I was writing on, writing on the whiteboard. I'm like, Hey, I think I want to do this. Like, this is what I'm thinking. I mean, the, the name Podmatch, she's the one who came up with that, which I think is a fantastic name, but that was her, that, that wasn't me. So she like jumped all in with it. And my family on both sides, I'll use her side of family as well. Maybe at first didn't really understand, uh, they're not necessarily super techie. Like I think my dad definitely got it, but like some others in the family, they're like, what, like, is this a real, can you make money doing this? Like, is this yep. a job? Like, and all those things, but overall they were very supportive. Like they could see the passionate. They knew that I was strategic with what I was doing. Uh, maybe a little bit worried about at some point. Cause when I made the shift, when I left the corporate world and I was focusing on Podmatch full time, I was not take still this day. Actually, my first, first paycheck is in two weeks that we'll, we'll take from the business but we've just been reinvesting all of it. And so you were like, wow, you're going to not make any money like at all. <laughs> and thankfully my wife and I had some savings, but it was one of those things that was like, yeah, that's, that's me risking the good for the sake of the potential great. It was a very calculated risk. Like I knew the direction was heading and the writing was on the wall, but getting support in that I thought would be tougher than it would. Again, some people were, they, they were validly concerned. They're like, okay, have you really thought this through and blah, blah, blah. But nobody in my family or my close group of friends was like, this is a bad idea. Like that didn't happen. Uh, some people challenged my thinking to make sure I had really thought it through enough, but thankfully I had. And the one story I'll share with this though is actually like specifically with my dad. I, I called him before I was leaving the aerospace industry, before I put in my notice. And I was like, Hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm doing. And I was actually nervous about that call because again, my, my dad helped me get my start in aerospace 15 years prior to this. And uh, he's a legend in that industry. And when I told him this, I was on the phone with him. And I was like, what do you think of all this? Like, I, I just shared, I'm like, Hey, I think I'm going to leave. I think I'm going to pursue this. He's like, I think it's a great idea. He's like, I think that you should do this right now. He's like, this is the best time in your life to do it because it's never going to get easier. It's never going to get better. He's like, I support it hundred percent. And that to me, like really meant a lot to hear my dad say that. Like he was like, you really need to do this. Like you've got something here, go for it, take the risk and make it happen. And kind of having like that sense of peace, like that meant a lot to me to be able to have that conversation with my dad and know like, okay, like I, I even got buy-in from one of the most successful people I've ever met in my life that just happens to be my dad that I should go ahead and do this. And the rest was kind of history, man. But I was, I had, I'm blessed to have just so many supportive people around me that have really helped me along the way. That is a, that is an outstanding way to, to close out this portion of the show. And I think that there's, there's a lot of value in making sure that you surround yourself with people that are, like you said, they're going to support you, but they're also going to challenge you and challenge you in not a, uh, judgmental or, you know, a quote unquote hater fashion, but to really challenge you to really say like, Hey, did you think about this? What about this? Who, you know, who is your target audience, et cetera. Cause again, we're so, we're so in love with our idea at the time that maybe we didn't notice that, Hey, this or this or this other thing. And we need those people to kind of keep us in check. Yeah. And, and having those people that that's all about having that right inner circle that they'll really be honest with you. Uh, you can't just have people that are fans of you be your inner circle, like people that think you walk on water, right? Like you can't yep. have those people around you all the time. It's got to be the people that are going to call you out on your stuff or like make recommendations in a loving way. And again, I am so thankful that I really do have great inner circles of people that are closest to me 
man, they make me a better person every time I have a conversation with them. And that I know that's a rare thing, but that's one of the most beneficial things I've ever had in my life is that inner circle. There you go. All right. So the, the next part of the podcast is uh, what I like to call our hot seat, just a series of rapid fire questions covering uh, your interests, uh, some of the stuff that you use to generate content, et cetera. And um, again, just real quick and painless. <laughs> right. All right. So obviously you've been, you've been an entrepreneur for quite some time. Uh, what is one of your non-negotiables when it comes to business? Integrity. You've got to have integrity in what you're doing. You've got to stand behind what you're doing. Nothing sketchy. It's all got to be above board. So integrity is my number one core value. And I, I translate that into everything I do business wise. Nice. Uh, when you turn on your phone, what are three mobile apps you can't live without? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because I'm not like a big social media guy. So I actually don't have any social media on my phone. Wow. Uh, but I, I really like, I mean, Spotify, man. Like Spotify is where I listen to my podcast. It's where I listen to music. It's one of the greatest inventions ever. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I, I really enjoy this app called Fabric, which helps you really manage your friendships and be intentional to people in your life. So it's just like one that asks you when the last time was you followed up with your close friends and things like that. Wow. So I, yeah, really enjoy that a lot. And, uh, I, I, I do a lot of, like, I'm a believer. I follow Jesus and I have a Bible app that I really like. It's where I keep all my notes and things like that. So those are kind of like my three big apps that I really like to, to keep up with. Nice. I, uh, I, I have to check out Fabric. I think that's a good, uh, Fabric you know, amazing. I, I'm, I'm a big person on, on checking in on people. Like I'll just, you know, like I'll message, Hey, how's it going? Et cetera. But there's, you lose track of some people more than others just because life gets in the way. But, but that is an outstanding concept. So very cool. I just learned something new there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously you said you were using your, your, your blue Yeti when you first started, um, what, how has your equipment changed from when you started to now? What are you using now? So not much has changed, but I am in the process of doing that. I am working with a roadcaster and pod mic is the, the newer tech that I'm using. And then for actually doing recording, I'm using, because it's all remote now, right? It's all, even yeah. if I'm recording with somebody who's technically local here in Jacksonville, I'm still doing it remote. And I'm using Squadcast now for that. And upgrading these things has actually been really helpful. So it's kind of all coming together still. I'm working on my home studio. It used to just be an office. Now it's turning into a home studio to make sure it has decent sound and things like that in it. Yep. But yeah, it's it's a work in progress. I'll say that that for me, this stuff doesn't come natural at all. Like I've had to learn and ask a ton of questions. But yeah, so the, the Roadcaster and uh, Pod Mic is kind of the direction I'm heading in right now. Um, I can I can tell you as a as a as a as a person who has a roadcaster in their studio and has kitted out their studio with a lot of road equipment, um, probably one of the best investments I ever made. Nice, I am glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, that's it's expensive, man. Like it's when I hit purchase. Not that I, I have nothing wrong with spending money, but I'm like, man, there's a lot of stuff that looks really good, has good reviews, and it's like a quarter of the price. I'm like, I hope this is actually worth it. But I'm glad that you said that. Well, you know what? You know what? Uh, just as a, as a side note. What what made me want to do it was the fact that to run my my shows over time, I was using a lot of equipment. So it's like you have your mixer. I had a noise gate, you know, to make sure I didn't have any outside noise, an external recorder. So by the time you tally all that up, you're like, I already spent, you know, four or five, six hundred dollars on the equipment. So yeah. all I'm doing is all I you know, the joke my, my friend likes to use is uh, sell your drugs to buy more drugs. So all I did was I took all of my equipment and I sold it. And I said, well, 
this should cover the cost of of the roadcaster pro and it more than did because i made a little profit also but that was exactly it i said okay i don't need a recorder i don't need a noise gate i won't need xyz i'm not going to need something for sound clips um unless i want something more than the than the eight buttons that are there so yeah it was it was a solid investment the sticker shock initially i'm like man i gotta come off 500 dollars in a clip (laughs) you know it, it just it definitely was not pleasant but man best investment i made glad to hear that it reinforced them i'm sitting here looking at it right now so thank you glad to hear that there you go um what's one one website you recommend to people often uh outside of my own websites because of course i recommend those um i really have been enjoying uh there gosh there are so many different websites i visit like now like to to read on and things like that let me just look one of these up that like i'm recently on um you know, I really like Michael Hyatt. I'm going to stick with that. I know I already mentioned him earlier, but he has a really good blog. It's all based around leadership and success. And I just think he does a really great job. Nice. Uh, do you edit it? Do you edit or work in silence or do you play music in the background? And if so, what's playing? Man, I'm, I'm always music. And uh, not that I mind silence too much, but I always just, I feel like my mind wanders less when there's something behind me. So gotcha. I really like things like, uh, maybe progressive trans like deep house type of stuff so it's kind of like more edm type music but usually without vocals and stuff while i'm kind of working i, I like right. that pace but at the same time i really love classical like anything that's a classic uh, i love strings and things like that so just being able to hear that in the background those type of things that i really enjoy while i'm working nice uh obviously as a, as a person involved in entrepreneurship and podcasting i'm sure you read a lot to stay informed what was the last book you read the last book I read, I'm actually right in the middle of one right now. I, I So most people I have my podcast, fun fact here, they're usually authors. So they usually have books. And I like to read the book that we're going to talk about beforehand. So I'm actually on pace again this year to read 52 books this year. I did the same thing last year. Nice. And I know I just mentioned Michael Hyatt. And it's probably because I'm reading his book right now, Lead to Win, because I'm interviewing him next week. Uh, win at Work and Succeed at Life. Sorry, is the name of the book. So I'm, I'm going through that one right now. Uh, and then the next one after that is called the hype machine. And that's by somebody who's really dove deep into the effects that social media has on the mind, especially from a business uh, person's perspective. So those are kind of my next two reads, but I go through a lot of books. I, I really enjoy reading. Do you prefer to read uh, a tangible book or do you still, or do you read digital or do you do a mix of the two? I, because of, for sake of time, because I'm reading at such a high pace, I have to do a mix, but I definitely, definitely prefer sitting at the beach or sitting by the pool uh, and reading a physical book. Like to me, nothing beats that. Like that is a fun, relaxing way to spend an afternoon. That is kind of rare. So I don't want people to get this visual that that's me every day. Um, it's usually digital that I'm reading, but if I had a preference, I'd love to be sitting at a pool all day, every day reading books and getting nothing done. So it's probably not a good idea, but anyway. How do you unwind at the end of the day? I have a pretty strict evening routine. So the last hour of the day, I'm, I'm putting my phone away. I'm putting work away. I'm being mindful with doing some stretching and things like that. I, I decompress and hang out with my wife as well. We just have some good conversation, things like that. I'm very intentional the other day to make sure that I'm finishing it off that way. And uh, it's very relaxing. It helps me really get in the right mindset to go to sleep and wake up and, and kind of tackle the next day. Um, what's something you purchased recently that's less than $100 that made your life easier or just more enjoyable? Less than a hundred dollars that did that, huh? You know, I'm I'm like a, I'm not a minimalist, but I barely ever buy anything. I'm looking to see what help with that. You know, I'm just gonna stick with the, the kind of the, the the studio that I'm building out. I bought some LED lights that are like 
they're, they're cheap. They were under a hundred bucks, but they're like game changers, man. Like they make the room look like, look like a studio, which is awesome. So that's something that's made my life easier instead of having to mess around with moving lighting around. Like one of these LEDs, I have two of them, but even one of them makes a huge difference. Nice. That's it. That's always one of those things that I always tell people, especially now that we got to do more stuff on camera. I'm like, listen, as much as I hate to admit it, lighting matters. <laughs> yeah. And at first I was moving like these little lights around every time. I'm like, man, it's such a pain. I got one LED turned on. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like this is a game changer. So it made my life a lot easier. I no longer have to move anything around. It saves me about five minutes every time I'm going to record. So that, that's nice. Obviously, you know, we, we talked about toys a little earlier with your, with your GI Joe collection. Was that your favorite, your favorite toy growing up or what was your favorite toy growing up? Yeah, it was definitely G.I. Joe's. As a matter of fact, I, I told you I sold all of them. That wasn't entirely true. I kept one. There was one, I, I believe the name of it was Shockwave. And it's this like SWAT trooper guy. And for whatever reason, I've just always kept that one. I'm not one again to have a lot of stuff, but it's literally sitting on a shelf right next to me, next to a little uh, Yoda toy. Uh, my second love, if you will, was was Star Wars. And I didn't have as many of the action figures or anything like that because the G.I. Joe's were built so much better. Right. But the uh, I, I love the movies. And always like imaginary imagination land, like playing with lightsabers with friends growing up. Like if you throw a lightsaber at me right now, I'd still know what to do with it. Let's put it that way. So, <laughs> so it, it's, it's funny now, you know, obviously with the change in things and how we consume entertainment, we're not going to the movies anymore because obviously theaters aren't open, but what was the last movie you watched? Uh, in theaters? Last one? No, last movie you watched recently. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh man, that's a great question. What did I recently watch? You know what? I, actually, this is funny. I watched uh, three nights ago, uh, or last weekend. Sorry, it was, a, it was a full week ago at this point. I watched uh, Shrek, the the first one. I hadn't seen it in probably. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but that movie came out twenty years ago. Like yep. this year makes twenty years, and I, I hadn't seen it in probably fifteen years or more than that even. Um, so it was a fun, enjoyable watch. Just me and my wife hanging out, and I, I laughed a lot. So that was the last movie I consumed. Yeah, Shrek. Shrek. Uh, it's funny. I always I, I resonate with that movie, especially when he says, "I have many layers like an onion." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I didn't realize how much I still quote that movie today, and I hadn't seen it in that, like fifteen years. There's like things that I say. I'm like, this is from this movie from my childhood, man. Yep. Like, I should have been more careful of what I consumed as a kid, but that's another topic. <laughs> um, last one is, I call you, Alex, a year from now, and I say, "Where are we at with Podmatch? How are things going?" what would you hope to respond with? Yeah, I'd hope to really be serving that that broad audience where I'm saying I don't have that immense clarity right now to really have that and know how to really be impacting more podcasters in a more meaningful way so they can produce great content for people. And with that said, also a mature product that I'm not spending every waking hour working on. Uh, I'm not necessarily at that point, but it is a lot of work. I'd like to really have that streamline. So again, serving people well, but also not taking up all my time. So I'd be working on some other dream projects that I have in the mix that I, I can't wait to start, but that's what I'd like to be sharing with you in a year from now. Awesome. All right. The uh, last one to close things out, we like to do what I call reach one, teach one, just a one piece of actionable advice for our listeners on the way out. Um, for you, I'm going to frame the question a little differently as I have for the last few guests, um, especially because you're a public speaker. Uh, you're, you're tasked with speaking in front of a group of high school seniors and what's one piece of advice you would give them in terms of starting and getting into the business world, whether it's as a person that's doing a nine to five or a person that's starting their own business? Yeah. You know, there's a reason that I'm going to share what I'm going to share. And I want to give a little backstory to it real quick here. But when people are going into, uh, when I say people, kids are going into kindergarten, there was this, this giant 
test that was done. It was like a thousand different kids they asked. They said, hey, are you creative? When they were getting into that. And 98% of these kids said yes. And they did the same test on kids that were leaving high school. Uh, they asked a thousand of them, hey, do you think you're creative? And only 2% of them said yes. Wow. And here's the thing. I realized that people that actually change the world, whether in a corporate job or if they're actually being an entrepreneur, are the ones that are the most creative, the ones that can come up with creative solutions and ideas. So what I want to tell to somebody, if, hey, I'm talking to a group of seniors, they need to begin flexing that creative muscle because it really is a muscle in the system that we have for schooling. I'm not saying it's wrong or anything like that, but it's not built in a way to flex your creative muscles. It's more so so you can follow a system. And when you follow a system, like you said earlier, Rich, like we become a bit of a cog. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but if you want to change the world, you have to be creative and figure out how to solve people's problems that way. So if I was talking to a group of high school students about to graduate, I would tell them, start flexing that muscle every single day by writing down just one idea, super random. Think of a problem you've seen in the world, write down an idea to, to change that problem. Don't even take action on it. Just write it down and think about it and do your best to continue to flex that creative muscle to build that back up so you can say, I am creative. And when you feel that you hit that point, start serving the world with it, solve people's problems in creative ways. And I believe that's how you really make a name for yourself. Man, that is that is one hell of a way to close things out. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. Just one last time, let our listeners know where they can find you and keep up with your work. For sure. Rich, first off, this was an honor to be on the show, man. I had a blast today. I can't wait to, to share this with everybody that I know because this was just a really good conversation. You're a fantastic host. If anyone's interested in finding out more about me, you can just go to creatingabrand.com. That's where I do everything. That's where my podcast is at. You'll see links to Podmatch. Everything that you need is there. But I really think that what Rich is doing here is a great place to hang out. So again, honored to be here with you today. I appreciate it. Um, just a quick uh, side note for those of you that are looking for a way to get guests for your show. I cannot endorse Podmatch enough. Alex put a lot of work into it. He pitched me personally to check out Podmatch. I'm glad I did keep it in my toolkit. And I'm just glad to be able to share his story with all of you. Alex, once again, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Rich. What an awesome conversation with Alex. I'm really glad that we finally got to sit down and chop it up for an episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. And as I said during our conversation, I'll reiterate it once again. If you are looking for a way to get guests for your podcast and don't want to go through the constant exchange of DMs and emails and gatekeepers, Podmatch is a great service. I feel that it is on the come up uh, with a few other services in terms of being really beneficial for podcasters. Alex is super approachable. Whether you message him on LinkedIn, reach out to him through Podmatch or email him. He's always ready to answer questions and really help you walk through the ser the service with just a, a really great can do and personable attitude. Alex, when he's not on LinkedIn or doing his podcast, you can find him on Clubhouse if you're on the Clubhouse app. Uh, give him a follow there. He's always in a podcasting room, uh, sharpening his toolkit, uh, showing off Podmatch, trying to really do it in a non-salesy, spammy sort of way. And I think that that's incredibly refreshing. Uh, as as a podcaster has been doing this for a long time, um, I like the stuff that really sells itself. It, it just makes it so much easier that you don't have like, oh, take my course and do this and watch eight videos and all this other stuff to really get the gist of a particular platform or service. Podmatch was easy, signed up. Uh, within minutes, I was set up for the podcast. And then uh, a few days later, I set myself up as a guest 
and again super easy and best of all a lot of the leads that we got, especially when I initially signed up, were people that I would genuinely be interested in talking to. I've booked a few already, which you'll be hearing in the coming months. And a couple of other people, they just weren't a good fit for one reason or another. But again, very easy process, takes a lot of the heavy lifting out of booking guests. And when you're a podcaster, and I say this often, you are not only a hype man, a producer, an on-air talent, an audio editor, a guest booker, a social media manager. You are a person of many hats when it comes to building uh, a podcast. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of work smarter, not harder. And, you know, if you can automate things or take some of that heavy lifting off your plate and put it towards a service or put it towards software or whatever it is that'll help you just focus on your podcast, on the content, on what brings people to your platform, I I just I just can't endorse it enough. I mean, services like Podmatch, things like Alphonic to level out your audio, or um, Hindenburg Journalist, which is easy for podcast editing, which I use. Whatever it is that you're into, make sure that eighty percent of your efforts are focused on what you really want to focus on. If you're not great at editing you know, do what you can until you can find someone who can help or until you can hire someone that you can offload that. Too many times I've seen so many amazing, amazing podcasts killed because of not enough free time or the person just didn't want to be stuck editing or the person just had trouble getting traction or the person didn't have someone to tell them like, hey, it's okay that you got 10 downloads this week. It's okay if you got 15 downloads. It's it's fine. A lot of the stuff that kills podcasts is stuff that, number one, can be easily avoided. But number two, sometimes people just need a, a peer or someone in their circle to help them out. That's why I try to, to join podcast groups, this Clubhouse platform, now that it's really taking off on iOS you know, I go in there, I try to help who I can and bring whatever value I can to the conversation. I've been doing this a long time. I've learned a lot and I'm still learning. I mean, with, you know, now 16 years of podcasting under my belt, I can tell you that I'm still learning every day. And there's a lot of things I can work on, but there's things that I've found ways to automate, outsource, and just take off my plate so that I can focus on uh, the Rageworks brand, whether it's the website or uh, our YouTube channel, which I've been doing a lot more videos for, or even the podcast network itself. I mean, don't don't let some of these little things become obstacles for getting your project off the ground, whether it's a podcast or a business. Uh, find ways around it. Focus on the stuff that you're really good at and then find ways to either outsource or get help for the stuff you're not good at. Just don't don't be afraid to ask for help. There's plenty of people whether they're in your orbit or even on the internet that are just ready to assist and help. I mean, there's countless people that I've talked to maybe once or twice that I've helped. And occasionally I'll see them on Facebook or on Instagram and I'll message them. Hey, did you start your show? How's it going? Etc. just to see. And, and part of it is because I didn't have that type of accountability when I was on the come up back in 2006. I mean, Kevin from VGN and those guys were super supportive when I started, but outside of that, it was just me and a microphone and my thoughts. And I just wanted to share that in addition to this conversation, because I think 
so many people, especially with the pandemic, are just trapped in their homes, trapped inside their own heads, and they have these amazing ideas, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or a blog that they always get stuck in, you know, it's it's my cliched phrase at this point, paralysis analysis, where they're just analyzing all these different variables. And when they're done analyzing, they've accomplished nothing. Don't fall into that trap, folks. Pull the trigger. Start that YouTube channel. Start that podcast. Listen, the first few episodes, the first few videos, they may be great. They may not be great. But you know what? You keep doing it, you know, but yeah, things are built based on repetition, whether it's your business, your brand, or your body. Repetition gets results. It's as simple as that. Anyway, I'm not going to sit here and preach to you folks, but I definitely want to thank Alex for taking the time for to chop it up with us and share so many gems and so much value. Make sure to follow him. I'll include all the links to his social, his website, his podcast in the show notes for this episode. All right, that's going to wrap things up. Make sure to check out all the other shows on the RageWorks Podcast Network. Uh, we have something. We literally have something for everybody. Whether you're into wrestling, sports, geek culture, hip hop, man, we we got you covered, and we're only going to keep growing. And if you're interested in possibly adding your podcast to our network, uh, we really do have a great tight knit group of folks, and I make it really, really turnkey. You bring the you bring your content. We do the heavy lifting. It's as simple as that. If you're interested, shoot me an email, rich at rageworks.net. As for Rageworks, you can find us on any social media platform of your choice. Just punch in Rageworks and you'll find us. We're even on Pinterest. All right, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for your continued support. And I'll see you guys in two weeks. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageworksNetwork.com.